Good morning, church. Happy March 14th to you. Um, great to be here with you all. I'm here at church in the chapel with the faithful broadcast team. And uh, today I'm going to be preaching from the Old Testament passage in 2 Kings 5, verses 1 through 14. And it's a story about a man named Naaman. And I think uh, many of us might be familiar with this because there's been sermons about it. Um, I've taught on this passage in the gathering. And he is healed of leprosy. Okay? And he's healed of this major skin disease. Um, but I've titled the sermon, The Journey of the Heart. Okay? Because even though the story is about how he is healed of the skin disease, leprosy, and how God heals the outside, the exterior skin, I believe that this passage is more instructive in how God deals with the heart and our inward being, our, the secret heart, okay? And so we're going to talk about the journey of Naaman's heart. And I'm going to break up the journey of Naaman's heart into three stages or three legs, okay? And each leg corresponds to how Naaman responds to a character in the story, okay? And so it's very interesting because there's three sets of characters and there's three legs. So the first leg, which I'm going to call grabbing hold, um, he responds to a little girl, um, Naaman's wife's servant. The second leg, which um, I'm going to call from anger to rage, he responds to Elisha's messenger. And the third leg, which is from rage to listening and yielding, he responds to his own servants. Okay? And each of these characters, interestingly, they say something directly or indirectly to Naaman. And this is where we get to see the journey of Naaman's heart as he responds to what they say. All right? So let's pray and let's invite the Lord for and ask him to bless the preaching of the word. Lord God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for every single person gathered. We welcome you. We welcome your presence. And Lord, you are Emmanuel, God who is with us. You're not a God that is just far away. You're not just a God who is an abstraction, but you are a God who is with us. And so we welcome you. We welcome your word to come alive. Um, during this time, where it says, swing wide, you ancient gates, swing wide, you uh, everlasting doors. And so we welcome you. We open wide the doors, the windows. And we ask, come, Lord God, come. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start by reading verses, 2 Kings 5, verses 1 through 5, okay? And that's, that comprises the first leg of the journey. Um, and I'm reading from the ESV. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. 
Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. All right? And this is how Naaman's journey, his journey of the heart, his journey towards healing, it begins. Okay? And first, let's look at Naaman. Okay? So Naaman, it says, he was a great man. All right? He was a commander of the army. He was in high favor. Um, through him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. So there was all these great things about him. He had lots of things going for him. But then it's just interesting how the writer finishes verse 1. It says, but he was a leper. Right? He had this one thing. And it, to me, it implies that despite all these great achievements, victories, valor, favor, there was one thing that overshadowed all of that, and that was his leprosy, right? And this, this was something that he could not overcome by his valor or on his own, okay? And so this was the situation of Naaman. And it says that Naaman that there was this little girl in verse 2 who was carried off, right? And basically another way of saying it is that she was kidnapped. She was abducted. She was stolen, right? Probably against her will and as plunder, okay? And she becomes the, uh, a crucial character in this story, because she carries a message, and this message points to a reality, right? And reveals a certain reality that Naaman did not know about. And there's something that happens between verses 3 and verses 4. Now, when we read this, it goes really quickly. So it says in verse 3, This little girl said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And then verse 4, it says, Naaman went in and told his lord, right? So he went to the king of Syria. And so I want to focus on what happens between verses 3 and verses 4, which is not spelled out in this passage. But what happened is that we can infer that Naaman grabbed hold of what this little girl said. He believed what this little girl said. And he believed it and he grabbed hold of it so much that he was willing to go to his superior and say, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. All right? And who knows, the king of Syria might have laughed at him and said, what are you talking about? Right? But Naaman grabbed hold of it. Okay? Now, he grabbed hold of something that this little girl said. Okay? And it's very interesting to me that the scripture calls her a little girl. There's no name. This is our main description. She's a little girl. And she was probably small physically, right? And maybe she was very young. And 
I think we could also infer that she was considered insignificant. She was little in many, many ways. Okay? But she knew something and she had the boldness to say it. Okay? And this is what she said. She said that if my master was with Elisha, Elisha could cure him. All right? And so what she said, it expressed something. It expressed there was a reality that there is this man named Elisha who, who actually is a, who represents God, right? He's a prophet of God, right? And that there is someone who can heal. There is a God who can heal. And she also expressed a desire for her master to be healed. And between verses 3 and verses 4, Naaman took hold of it, right? I don't know how it happened. I don't know if first his wife heard it, and then his wife was like, you know, this little girl said this weird thing. What do you think, right? But somehow, in that process, he said, ooh, I want that. He grabbed hold of it. Now, the opposite of grabbing hold of something okay, in the Christian life, is dismissing it, all right? And there's many ways we can dismiss something, right? So Naaman and his wife could have dismissed the little girl. They could have said, oh, you silly little girl, what do you know, right? Why should I believe you? Um, They could have dismissed it as a myth that these people from Israel believe in, right? It's those people with crazy beliefs. And then, even if she was found to be credible, they could have dismissed the reality of it. Meaning they could have said, I mean, how could that happen? How could, how could anyone be cured of leprosy? I've never heard of that. And they could have said, you know what, even if it were possible, how do I know it's going to happen for me? Right. So there's all these ways that they could have dismissed it. And to me, it's very interesting that Naaman used his mind a certain way to take hold of and believe what this little girl said, okay? And so I want to just talk about the mind, okay? And I want to mention this because as I've talked to people, there's many people who, who admittedly, self-admittedly, they say, you know what, I overanalyze, I overthink, I overuse my mind, and they get in a rut, okay? And so I want to just share a certain aspect of the mind. And we know from, you know, advances in neuroscience, for example, right, that there are different parts of the brain, and different parts of the brain are good for certain things, right? And so, um, for example, when you're driving, right, you want to use the instinctive part of your brain, that which reacts in a second, right? You don't, if a car is, you know, if there's a red light, you don't, you don't start thinking, what should I do now? Red light, oh yeah, brake. No, you just use the instinctive part and you just react, right? So that part of the brain is good for that activity, Right? But, at the, but you don't use the instinctive part 
of your brain to make big decisions, right? You use maybe your reasoning, your critical faculties for that. You don't use your instinctive part because you're going to make a bad decision, okay? And so for the sake of illustration, I'm going to talk about the mind and I'm going to slice and dice it and say there's, there's two parts of the mind, okay? There is a, what I call a receptive part, and there is an active part, okay? The receptive part is that which is able to respond, okay? It's the object, and the active part is one that can initiate, and it's the subject, right? So, for example, the receptive part of the mind is able to listen, is able to observe, um, absorb things, learn things, right? It's, it's receptive, right? And I love that part of my, the mind, right? I love learning new things, okay? And then there's a, the active part. It's able to initiate, create. It's able to reason, analyze, think logically, problem solve, be creative. It, it's able to make things happen. Okay, and in in this leg of the journey, right, Naaman needed to use the receptive part of his mind, right? He he, because if he used the what I call the active part and thought about it too much, analyzed it too much, he might have said, "That's no, I don't believe that," right? So in that moment, between verses 3 and 4, Naaman received what the girl said. He grabbed hold of it, and he believed. Okay? Let me just give you another example of what it looks like to grab hold and to, to receive um, something. And so this is an example from my own life, and this is fairly recent fall of 2019 and the background is that between the fall of 2018 and fall of 2019 um, I wanted to see some big changes in my life okay and in hindsight it was because of my lack of maturity and I was not patient with what God had for me but I wanted big changes so I wanted big changes with my finances, with my career, right? There was one desire I had, for example, was um, I wanted to build what's called like a granny unit in in the backyard. But to do that, you need money, right? And so um, I I was trying to make things happen, okay? And... To keep this short, it, what I tried, what I looked into, it, it didn't work. And so I came into fall 2019. Um, I accepted the situation, but there was, there was a sense of resignation. I was not necessarily happy in the Lord. I accepted it. I said, I, I, I looked into it. It didn't work out. Okay, And I remember one day, one weekend, um, I had my computer open and I had my spreadsheet. I opened up a spreadsheet and I was just looking ahead to the next 10 years. And I remember writing down 2019 to 2021. 
Amanda's going to be at Fuller. Okay. Um, 2022 to 2025, Natalie's going to be in college. And then 2000, actually to 26, 2025 to 2029, Peter's going to be in college. So this is fall of 2019, and I'm trying to project, you know, into the future. And I see that for the next 10 years, right, I'm going to be basically working to support my family, go through school, okay, which is a noble thing, but... In that moment, I was, I, the thought, the overwhelming thought in my mind was, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to do this for the next 10 years. I, I can't, and the thought of it was, it was suffocating. It was like, it was so frustrating to me because I wanted something different, right? And I guess the best way to say it is that I was not excited and the worst way to say it was that I was frustrated, um, suffocated, okay? And so, now I was still very functional, but there was this, right, there was this thing in my heart, right, that I, I did not feel good about. And in fall of 2019, um, Sanjeev began to teach a, series at the gathering and he called it living every season fully okay um and it happened right after fall conference and i remember that he had been praying into it and preparing and he came up with this uh teaching series of three called living every season fully and um it was i remember it was right here in the chapel same guy's we're all here. And um, now I, I'm part of the gathering, but I, I usually come, I come as kind of a leader, right? I come as a, as a teacher or a leader. And so honestly, I came not expecting very much because I thought, you know what? This is targeted for the younger ones, maybe the singles among us, right? And because Sanjeev had a heart for them at that time. And so in a way, I came in, subconsciously dismissing it that it might not be for me but anyways i came faithfully and a weird thing happened is that by the end of the third session this phrase every season right living every season fully this this every season it just kind of it was almost like it it stood out at me and said it challenged me and said this applies to your season. This applies to my season that I was going through, right? And the interesting thing was that I had said, you know, I'm in this long 10-year season of just being faithful, and, but nothing exciting, right? That's how I had thought of it. But this word challenged me. And in that moment after... After those three weeks, I believed, I just naturally believed that I grabbed hold of this reality that, you know what? God has something for me in this season. That there's something full, something of his fullness in this season. And so, therein began 
my journey. Okay? And I have to say that this season has continued till now. And it doesn't mean that it's been great all the time. No, it's, there's been trials and tribulations and suffering and tears. But what I can say is that it's been full. And I don't feel like this is a lost season, but that this is a great season. And I remember Christmas 2019, we had some, we have a family over around that time. And the adults were talking. And I, you know, we're talking about, we're reflecting on the year. And I shared this. And I said, look, about two, three months ago, I, I thought that I was in for a long, boring season. But this is what's happened to me. And I can see, I, I began to track changes in my work, in my family, in my ministry. And so this is how Naaman's journey began, by grabbing hold of something that floated through the air. Okay? And so let's go to leg number two. And this leg is called anger to rage. All right, so let's read from verse 5 through 12. <clears throat> so, and the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And the king of Israel read the letter. He tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. All right, so this is just nonsense. The kings had no idea what was going on. So we'll just skip that part. Verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king and saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10. And Elisha sent the messenger to him, and here's the second character, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Wow. So he interacts with the second character, and the second character is Elisha's messenger. Okay? And Elisha's messenger said, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and you're going to be cured of leprosy. Okay? But it's interesting that Naaman reacted with anger, and then that anger turned into rage. Okay? Rage is like. It's like anger times 10. You know, when you get in a rage, you're, you're just completely consumed with that anger, right? It's a very strong feeling, okay? 
And, you know, you can imagine like when someone is in a battle, they, they get into a rage. But um, Naaman worked himself up into a rage. Okay? Now, here's the interesting thing, is what made Naaman go from anger to rage? All right? And the, the interesting thing is that it was his thinking and his reasoning. All right? So it says in verse 11, But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought. Do you see that? Behold, I thought. Okay? And so his thinking about what happened actually made, did not help him. It actually made things worse. All right? Went from anger to rage. His thinking fueled the fire of his anger. Okay? Now this may be surprising to us because a lot of us think thinking and reasoning are good things. Right? And it should lead to better, not worse. Right? It should lead to good, not bad. Right? So after all, thinking and reasoning, it, it uses the part of our mind that's supposed to be rational, logical, objective, consistent, coherent, right? And using our thinking and our reasoning, we're supposed to arrive at that which is true, that which is good, right? That which is just, that which is righteous, pure, lovely, excellent, right? So that is true, okay? But there's another aspect to thinking and reasoning, right? And this story illustrates that that it was actually his thinking and his reasoning, it fueled his anger. All right? Why is that? It's because of the fall in Genesis 3, right? When Adam and Eve, right, when they fell, they succumbed to the temptation of the serpent. Their thinking and their reasoning became corrupted. And so, as a result of that, our thinking and our reasoning, right, is corrupted. And it will serve whatever our heart serves. It will serve whatever our heart treasures. Our thinking and our reasoning will serve whatever our heart is inclined towards. Okay? So, on the positive side, right, if we have a sanctified thinking and a sanctified reasoning, right, and we, um, we serve the Lord, right? God can use that thinking and the reasoning, right? Um, if we want to love people, we want to serve people, God can use the thinking and the reasoning, right? And, you know, create mission agencies that do good for people, okay? But on the negative side, right? If there is greed, Right? We can use greed and deceit, let's say. We can use our thinking and our reasoning to become greedier, more deceptive, right? Worse. Okay? If if our heart serves ourself, the self, right? You put yourself first, you can use your thinking and your reasoning to justify all kinds of selfishness. Okay? 
if, if your heart is inclined, to, if there's a root of bitterness and you want to get revenge on someone, you can use your thinking and your reasoning to build up a nasty plan, right? If your heart is inclined towards evil, right, and you put thinking and reasoning on top of that, you can do lots of terrible things. And we see this in the world, okay? Thinking and reasoning is not, it's not, um, it's not good in and of itself. It can, it serves whatever the heart serves, all right? And what Christianity says is that every one of us has something corrupt in our heart that needs to be dealt at the cross, okay? Our thinking and our reasoning is not pure. It's not sanctified. It's corrupt, and it has to be dealt with at the cross. And this is why I think in verse 10, Elisha intentionally sent out his messenger. Did you, guys, did you guys see that? It's like, it's really weird because Naaman came all the way, presumably from Syria, to somewhere in Israel. It was, it's probably a long journey. And it says in verse 9, he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Right? And Elisha sent the messenger to him. You see that? And it's almost like he was being rude on purpose. That's that's the only way I can can see it, is that Elisha, the least he could do, right, in a hospitality culture is come out and say, you know, hello. But he didn't. He sent the messenger and it's like he knew that that would really piss off Naaman, okay? And there's, um, there's this idea in the Bible of God testing our hearts, yeah? God tests our hearts. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.4, okay? Um, and in Deuteronomy 8.2, right? And remember, we had this long series on Deuteronomy through the wilderness, and he, it says that he... Um, what does it say? He had the Israelites, you know, go through the wilderness to test what was in their heart. Okay? And so there's a way that God tests our hearts because, see, he knows that there is something in our heart that needs to be dealt with. Okay? And so it's, it's almost like God orchestrates circumstances and he allows certain things to happen so that what is in the heart surfaces okay because see what could have happened is that elisha could have come out and that just healed naaman right so naaman then would have been healed on the exterior but his heart would not have been changed and what and if you keep reading second kings five after this passage he becomes a god-fearing man he is a god-fearing man so something happens in in naaman he becomes a noble, God-fearing man, right? I don't think that would have happened if he was just touched and healed and had gone home, okay? And so God orchestrates through the circumstances and he allows certain things to occur to cause that which is in our heart to be manifest through our reaction, okay? 
and, and that it's not to shame us, but it's so that it surfaces and we see that, oh my gosh, that was actually in my heart, right? And that's the way he deals with us. He doesn't just touch the exterior, but he is interested in putting wisdom in our inward being, in our secret heart. And so, because of that, verse 11, Naaman was angry, right? And justifiably angry. And let's, let's see the way that his mind, his thinking, and his reasoning worked. So the, the first thing he says is that, I thought that he would surely come out to me, right? So he was very, very offended, he was very offended that Elisha did not come out. And instead he sent a puny little messenger. Okay? His pride was hurt. Okay? And so you see that our thinking and our reasoning, right? It's, it's, not, it's not impartial. It's very partial. Right? If someone offends us, our thinking and our reasoning gets affected by that. Yeah? I can give lots of examples, but I think you, from your own experience, you know that to be true, right? If someone offends you just a little bit, right? Your thinking and your reasoning, it's, it gets affected by that. And you might start attacking them, actually. The second thing that Naaman says is that I thought he would stand and call upon the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper, right? And so he had a certain expectation of how this healing would happen, right? Naaman, he did not know how God works. He did not know the ways of God. He had his own expectation, right? And when that didn't happen, he was upset. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yeah. And as we grow in maturity as Christians, we begin to realize his ways are so much higher than our ways, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, right? And, but for Naaman, God's ways became a stumbling block because he didn't understand that, okay? And there's a way that God's ways can stumble us sometimes because sometimes God's ways sounds a little lame, sounds the same old, not that interesting, not that exciting, not that spectacular, right? You're telling me God's ways is to go and wash seven times? That's not that exciting, you know what I mean? Naaman was a great man. So if, if Elisha's messenger had told him, you know what, if you climb Mount Everest with only one layer of clothing, you'll be healed, right? Then he would have done it. He would have been like, man, I'm up for that challenge, right? Or if you go and charge, you know, your enemy's castle and kill him, 
you will be healed. Naaman would have been like, yeah, I'm game for that, right? But he was offended by how unsophisticated God's way was. Just go and wash, right? And a lot of times if we are too critical, if we use our thinking and our reasoning the wrong way, we will dismiss and despise God's ways. The last thing he says is that are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he's, you know, again, it shows his ignorance of God's ways. Now, everything he was saying was valid, right? But it was corrupted. And so because of that, Naaman, in this leg of the journey, he went backwards. He went from anger to rage, right? And so let's go to the final leg of the journey. And this is called from anger and rage to listening and yielding, verses 13 through 14. And the question is, is there hope after anger turns to rage? Is there hope after even our thinking and our reasoning betray us? And the answer is yes, there is hope. Praise God that the story doesn't end in verse 12, but there is verse 13 and 14. So it says, But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Okay. Again, it happens, it's, there's only two verses allotted for this, okay? So let's, we're going to slow it down here. Now, the, there's a wonderful little phrase in verse 13 and that is that his servants came near. Wow, praise God for that. Okay? Because Naaman had worked himself into a frenzy and he was in a rage. He's a dangerous man, right? You don't want to go near a mighty man who's in a rage. But it says that his servants came near. They dared to approach him. Okay? And in doing so, they became the messengers with a word that pointed Naaman back to the reality that he could be healed. Okay? Now, I asked the question, why did they dare approach him? Why did they do that? Right? And I think from the passage, I could come, I, I came up with two answers. One is that I think that they love their master. They love Naaman. Okay? Um, he says, my father. And it's interesting because even, you know, even the little girl in verse 3 said, would that my Lord with, were with the prophet. So there, there was something about his servants, maybe the way Naaman conducted his life that engendered love. I don't know. But anyways, they loved Naaman. Okay? 
they love their master. And the second thing is that they, they could see why Naaman was offended by what Elisha's messenger had said, but they saw the value of it. Right? They recognized the preciousness of it, and they said, look, you have the possibility of getting healed of leprosy. You don't want to miss out on that, right? And so they loved their master and they did not want their master to miss out on the true good. Yeah? And I guess that's, that's a, um, a great illustration of love, right? Is that you, you don't want the person you love to miss out on the good. And I believe that these servants actually reflect the heart of God towards Naaman, and they reflect the heart of God towards us as well. That there's, there's a part of God, right? He loves us, and he does not want us to miss out on the true good. Okay, And so even after Naaman had worked himself up into a frenzy, right, and gone off in the rage, they came near. Right? And they came near and to ask Naaman to reconsider. Okay? And that reconsider is such a grace, the ability to reconsider, right? To consider again. And they appeal to him. Now, I'm going to shift the perspective here, and I'm going to look at it from Naaman's side, okay? Because from Naaman's side, it's almost an impossibility when you're so angry to even let someone come near and to listen to them. At least this is my experience, is that if I'm, if I'm not happy, if I'm upset, right, I want to be alone. I don't want someone to draw near and start telling me to reconsider, right? And so, verse 14, what happens in verse 14 is actually an impossibility, in my opinion, right? Because to get to verse 14, at least three things had to happen, okay? Number one is Naaman had to allow his servants to draw near, right? And like I said, that um, when... Human nature is that when we're angry, when we're in a rage, we don't want to be around other people and other people don't want to be around us, right? Anger, rage do not go with community and fellowship, right? And so, but somehow he, Naaman had to allow these people to come near. Okay, that's the first grace. The second thing is that he had to listen, okay? And by listening, I mean that he listened exclusively. That's the only thing he did meaning that he did not interrupt them, he did not lash out at them, he didn't start talking with them and arguing with them, right? How many of you have experienced that where you're trying to resolve a conflict maybe and you're upset about something and so the other person is saying something but you can't help but interrupt and try to say your perspective, right? And so... Another miracle had to happen to Naaman where he was able to come to a place where all he did was listen, 
And then, lastly, he had to yield to what he listened to. Right? He had to let go of what he had thought and the conclusions that he had made. And then he had to listen to what his servants said. And then he had to say, you're right, I'm wrong, actually. Right? So he had to let them draw near, um, listen without speaking over them, and yield. Okay? And, and the more I thought about this, the more I realized that this is it's an impossibility without the grace and mercy of God. Okay? And I think that this, the fact that it happened, should give us hope. Right? That, that there is hope after anger and rage and our thinking and our reasoning going corrupt. Praise God, right? So, and what I realize is that this is a great illustration of something that we've been talking about from the New Testament from Colossians 3. So let me just read Colossians 3, a few verses from there, about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Colossians 3, um, verse 8. But, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Right? And I think that the story of Naaman, what happens in verse 13 and 14, is an illustration of putting off the old self and putting on the new self, right? He had to, he, he, was, he had layers of anger and rage, right? Before he could listen and yield, that had to come off of him, okay? He had, he had to somehow put that off. And he had to put on some kind of humility, right? So that he could listen. So that he could listen to the word of God. And I think it's interesting that the, the language that Colossians uses, right? It uses the word of putting off and then you put on, right? So like, if I want to put something on, if I want to put on a different sweater, I have to take this sweater off first, right? And then I can put on a new sweater, right? So we can't go right to listening and yielding if we're still wearing anger and rage, right? I think, I think that's common sense, right? The, the, the anger and the rage has to come off so that we can listen and allow something else to be put upon us, okay? And I want to share a practice from my own life, okay, that I've been doing at least for 20 years, okay? And it's a way in which um, I experience the grace of God to put off 
something and to put on something. Okay? And so, the first thing I do is I draw near. Right? So, so there, there's, three, there's three steps to this. There's drawing near, there's listening, and there's yielding. Okay? And <clears throat> what I do is I draw near. Okay? And, and when I draw near, what I do is this. I, I keep a journal, and I open my journal. Okay? And to me, that's, that's symbolic of drawing near to God. Because what I'm doing is I'm opening my heart to God. Okay? I'm saying I might, be, I might be wearing something I'm not supposed to be wearing, whether it's anger, whether it's discouragement, anxiety, whatever it is, right? And when I do that, I do that also through the blood of Christ. And I, and I remember that in Matthew 27, it says that when Christ died on the cross, it says the temple of the curtain was torn in two. You guys remember that? It says the, the curtain of the temple and the, and the curtain symbolized or it's, it's the thing that was between the Holy of Holies and, the, and the, the other part. And the curtain being torn in two, what that tells me is that I can draw near to God. That separation, right? God made the first move. He actually drew near through the cross and he tore the temple so that I could come to him, right? And so Hebrews 4, 16 says, let me just find that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. So, I do that. So it's when I open my journal, it's it's very symbolic. I'm saying, look, I'm opening my heart and I'm I'm believing that you have made provision for me to draw near. Okay. The second thing I do as I draw near is then I start to write down in my journal all the things, all my thoughts. Just like Naaman did, right? So Naaman said, I'm offended that you sent a messenger. I thought you would come out, right? I thought you would wave your hand. So what I do is I, what I'm doing is when I'm writing down my thoughts, I'm doing that so that I can identify and acknowledge the old clothing that I want to put off, okay? So by writing down my thoughts, I'm not just introspecting, Right? But what I'm doing is I'm identifying aspects of the old self, habits of the old self that I want to put off. Okay? And the thing is this, I can't put it off right away. Right? Like, you can't just go from angry to not angry. Our heart doesn't work like that. It requires a process. It requires the grace of God. Okay? But what I can do, though, is I can identify it so that I can... With the grace of God, I can put it off. Does that make sense? Right? So I draw near. I begin to identify those things that I want to put off. And then this is where I wait. 
I, I fellowship with the Lord now, right? And this is where I'm listening, right? And I'm reconsidering. And I'm believing that as I fellowship with God, as I wait upon Him, something's going to happen and I am enabled to put off those things that I identified. Okay? We can't do it mechanically. We can't just be like, Lord, I put off my anger. I put off my rage. It, it doesn't work like that, right? It's a, because it's a... It's more than just words. Yeah? And so I listen. And then as, as I... As God reveals things, as He says... As He reveals His, wor- His word or His ways right, then I can yield to that. And when I yield to that, it's a, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm exercising another part of my mind that says, I, it's, it's called the will, right? We say, yes, I choose to put this off, and I choose to put this on, and I yield to that, okay? And so, this whole process, it's not something we, we do on our own. We do it in the presence of God, right? And there's, we approach the throne of grace, and there's grace and mercy, but it also requires our participation, okay? And so that is a practice that I want to share with you guys, all right? Because at the end of the day, we all need some way to practically live out the Christian life, right? So if you don't have a way, then use my way. If you already have your way, then keep using that, right? But this is something that, that has worked for me. Allows me to draw near, identify what I want to put off. I wait, I listen, and I'm able to yield, okay? Let's pray. Let's pray. Yes, God. Yes, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you... Thank you for your love for us, God. God, thank you that even the way that the little girl loved her master, even though she was kidnapped, and the way that Naaman's servants loved Naaman and wanted the true good for him. God, we just thank you that it is a, it's a small reflection of your love for us. Lord, we just gaze, we just gaze into that right now. Just thank you. Just thank you for your love. Thank you for your love that that wants the best for us.
And God, we just thank you for, the, for your grace that was at work in Naaman's life to bring him to a knowledge of you. That you did not just touch his exterior and make his life better, but you touched the inside and you put the fear of God in him. You changed him. You taught him your ways. And so we just thank you for the ways that you have done that in our lives. God, you don't just wave a wand and and fix things, Lord, but you have the ultimate good for us. So we bless your name, Lord. Thank you, God. We just well we continue to welcome you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for this time together in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.